In the name of Jesus, amen. When we have these weather events that are outside of our control, it makes me start to wonder. When there's a blizzard, we can hunker down inside of our homes when under roofs that are, are leak-proof, walls that are well-insulated, furnaces that kick in and keep us nice and cozy and warm. But what did they do 100 years ago when they had to go outside, when their livelihoods depended on facing the elements? Or back up more than 100 years, the Native American tribes who were here, we complain about winter lasting forever. It seems like it's dragging on forever. But what did they do when they depended on everything that was around them just for survival? There's a couple times when the temperatures drip, dip down to extremes, and then we start to wonder about things. We start to take precautions to make sure that our pipes don't freeze. It's then that we realize that we have more than we bargain for, that, that we have so many things that we depend on not just for cooking or cleaning, for washing and bathing, for getting a sip, or getting gulping down a whole bottle of water. There's more there than we bargained for. John chapter 4 takes us into, allows us to get a glimpse into a conversation with Jesus and a woman at a well. And Jesus is there because he's offering something bigger, that, that people are so often thirsting for something, they're looking for something, and that's something that we, that's on our minds, that's on our hearts all the time, but Jesus wants to get a little deeper. To uncover the thirsts that are beneath those thirsts. And then to satisfy, to show that only Jesus can satisfy those deep longings inside of our hearts that Christ quenches. John chapter 4 takes us to a city in Samaria called Sychar. Jesus is there because he's been journeying and traveling and he needs to rest and he sits down beside a well. But he's not supposed to be there. According to everything that everyone is telling him, he's not even supposed to be there at that moment, at that place. Jews normally on a pilgrimage from Galilee down to Jerusalem would bypass Samaria, to avoid any uncomfortable confrontations with the hostile, religiously, ethnically hostile Samaritans. Jesus sits down and immediately strikes up a conversation with a woman who comes out to collect water. Respected rabbis didn't have conversations with women alone. Everyone who would be in on this scene would, would, would say that Jesus is defying all their expectations, but Jesus knows he needs to be there. Jesus knows that he's put in that place to, to provide something that, that disciples, that that woman, that no one would be even looking for, that they would expect that they have a need for. Jesus is there to quench a very real thirst. We know why the woman is there. She is going throughout her regular routine. In that era, providing water was just a normal chore that you had to do every day. That, that In that water-sensitive region of the world, even today, that water is an essential part of life. We know why she is there. And, and so often we come to Jesus with those ordinary needs, those things that, that are taking up energy and, and attention in our minds, that we, we come to Jesus because we need help from Jesus to provide 
the good life. Whatever definition of the good life that we have in our minds, whether it's just a sip or just a drink, whether it's a full water bottle or filling up that stainless steel Stanley, we come to Jesus to help us with those needs, financial needs, that so often take up so much of our brain power, medical concerns that, that are almost impossible to get beyond, the stresses that, that make it almost impossible to think of anything else. So often we come to Jesus with these burdens that, that feel like they're pushing down on us, and all we need from Jesus is just to get out from under those burdens. And those are legitimate concerns. Those are real issues that we would like Jesus to help address to, to, to improve our lives. But there's a reason there's a bigger reason why Jesus comes to that well and has that conversation with the woman there. We don't know all that much about her background. We don't know her name. We don't know what caused five different husbands to come and go. Was it an untimely death, a tragedy, neglect, abuse? Whatever the explanation is, we know each one of those relationships left her unsatisfied. Jesus isn't trying to take a, a, a shameful situation and heap more shame on top of it. He's not trying to take a wound and pour salt into it. He is simply trying to expose personal, private information about her that only he would be privileged to know. To, to give her a clue that the person she's dealing with is more than just a teacher or a rabbi. To help her understand his divine work, and that divine work is for her. Recent research by the University of New Hampshire suggests that we're more likely to suffer dehydration in the winter. Our bodies naturally give off water, even when we're not sweating profusely, like in the warm weather months. And so many of the things that we chalk up to um, fewer hours of, of daylight or uh, seasonal affected moods are, might actually be caused by not getting enough to drink. The American Heart Association says it, 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 some of these symptoms might be um, poor memory, lack of concentration, bad moods, all trace back to not getting enough water to drink. In this conversation with the Samaritan woman, Jesus is exposing a need that she doesn't even know she has, or at least a thirst inside her heart that she wouldn't normally admit to a perfect stranger. Jesus exposes and, and digs down deeper to expose these deep heart issues. He causes a bit of discomfort here because he wants her, he wants all of us to show that he is the only one truly equipped to quench those deep thirsts. Jesus says to you and to me what he says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We spend so much of our efforts trying to find the good life on our own terms. 
we think it's money or success, it's health or um, being pain-free, being respected by our peers. We're searching for approval from our friends. We're searching for something. We're striving for something that we think will satisfy. Satisfaction, though, that will still leave us thirsting for more. That, that might satisfy, but only temporarily, only momentarily. I think that's why one reason why our, our society is so obsessed with sex. We think it's all about that, that brief physical pleasure, but there's so much more behind it, so much more emotional, a feeling of wanting to be wanted, to want to be desired, to, to find self-worth in, in, in feeling like you are worthy of someone's attention and affection. But so much of what we see leaves people still thirsting. That explains uh, some of the pull for people to live together before they're married, maybe, maybe to see if that relationship will lead to marriage. They, they know they want to have that special someone in their life, someone who is there for them to have the benefits of marriage, that companionship, that intimacy, but not having the, the binding commitment of marriage. And, and yet it leaves them thirsting. That's why so many of those relationships, even when they lead to marriage, end up in higher rates of divorce than those who don't live together before they're married. So many of the things that we, we, we easily chalk up to people just trying to feel good are masking a, a deeper thirst in their life. We, we have uh, addictions that, that seem like they're out of control in our world, but addictions to alcohol or drugs aren't just about that momentary ecstasy of trying to get that good feeling. So often, it's about filling a hole in heart, being numb to the pain that's caused by trauma or rejection or disappointment, so that you don't feel anything at all, at least momentarily. But there's all kinds of addictions that we suffer from in our lives that, that, that are a lot more innocent-seeming. The addiction to gaining the approval of your parents, trying to make them proud of you. The addiction of finding your sense of self-worth in academic achievement. The addiction of thinking that your work, your career, will earn you the admiration of the people, the right people, the people who matter most. That The addiction of pouring yourself into your family and into your children so that they reflect back what an awesome person you are. The addiction to leaving a legacy of hard work and dedication the knowing that the next generation, whatever is handed to you, you're leaving in better shape for the next generation that follows after you. There's even an addiction to spiritual success, that we develop good habits in our life so that we can catch God's attention, so we catch his eye, and he can notice that our next level obedience and next level faithfulness, and that we might bring honor to God, that we might motivate the people around us in our lives. There's a seeking a searching, a thirsting for something that all 
falls under the same false assumption that it will bring us satisfaction. But that ultimately leaves us still thirsting for more. Sometimes uh, when you're on a long road trip, you need to stop even when you don't need to stop. You stop because someone else needs to stop. Jesus is here beside this well in Sychar because he's been traveling, because he is worn out and weary, because he needs a break, he needs to push pause on his journey, but he's there because Jesus has well, we could say that Jesus is thirsting for something more than water, too. Jesus needs to find that soul, that outcast, that outsider who is hurting. Jesus needs to seek out and rescue those who are trapped into their version of having a good life on their own terms. Jesus needs to provide rescue and relief to those who are thirsting but will continue to thirst because they have fallen for the lie of the things of this world that will bring them satisfaction. Jesus came to give himself. Jesus came to offer himself as the only one who can truly satisfy. The woman tries to shift the conversation. It gets to that uncomfortable point where she's getting to squirm a little bit, and maybe she's even trying to strike up an argument with Jesus. You say Jerusalem, we say Gerizim. Jesus swats all that aside and keeps the focus of the conversation where it needs to be. The heart, the heart shows by worship what is the number one priority in our lives. And Jesus says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus redirects so that we can see that there is more to life than the things that we think will satisfy our hearts. His ultimate goal is to help all souls see that he is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ who quenches. Your heart tells you that you need approval from God. Jesus was sent on that divine mission and carried it out completely to say, to hear, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am all pleased. Your heart tells you that you need to find success. Jesus is the one who perfectly obeyed all of God's commandments without any flaw, without any failure, and he did it for you. Your heart tells you that you can numb your heart to the pains of trauma and tragedy in your life. Jesus says he takes all of the pain of every sin committed by every sinner with him to the cross. On the cross, he experiences hell so that you are saved, you are spared from the torments of hell. Your heart tells you that you need someone to love you. Someone who tells you you are desirable. And Jesus says, I am he. Your heart seeks someone to love you, and Jesus stretches out his arms wide to show you how much he loves you. Your heart tells you you need to be desired, and Jesus says he gave up everything. He gave up his own life so that he can have you as his own child. For all the thirst, for all the things that we are seeking in life, that we are searching for, and we're trying to find satisfaction, Jesus says, come to me. And you will find living water. 
that satisfies for life and for eternity. One of the many uh, worthy Christian organizations that sends regular appeals is Kingdom Workers. There was one uh, message that I got recently from Kingdom Workers that talked about their efforts to, to provide clean water in different parts of the world, especially parts of the world where it's difficult to do mission work. Uh, providing clean water in, in Indo rural Indonesia, the most populous Muslim country in the world. By providing uh, water, clean water, normally people will, will walk several miles with these heavy containers of water. So not only will it save them time and improve their health, but it provides much bigger opportunity. It allows them to share Christian devotion, Christian education, to show that there are bigger needs that are cared for, that they have a God who cares for them, a God who cares not just for their physical needs, but for their souls as well. Jesus is the one who provides for so many the needs that, that take up our daily concerns. But Jesus gives us more. Jesus gives us himself. Jesus offers his life to provide you with something greater than a good life. Jesus offered his life on the cross to provide for your soul's greatest needs. Jesus offers you everything he accomplished in his life by his death so that you have new life now and the promise of life for eternity so that you can stop thirsting for all the things that you think will satisfy and find that thirst quenched in Christ. Amen. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father forever, to him be glory forever and ever.